Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, in our series in Genesis, we're looking at the days of creation, and today is part three of the days of creation. We're going to look at the second half of day six and day seven in its completion. Let me begin this morning by reading. I'll begin in verse 26 of Genesis 1 and read through verse 3 of Genesis 2. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth... Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Let me ask you something this morning as we begin. What picture of God do you hold in your mind? kind of image of God do you have when you think of him, when you hear of him spoken, when you read of him in his word? For I think the answer speaks volumes to how it is that we are understanding God in our lives, how it is that we picture him. And what Genesis has done for us in this first chapter is to paint the imagery in order to form a foundation for how it is that we understand all of God. In other words, when God chose to reveal himself to us, this is how he began. And he provided for us a foundation from which we could understand him. And even, you might say, parameters within which we would be guided in our knowledge of him. In the opening chapters, we witness the revelation of God as creator. And today, in this day and a half that we will consider, we see the culmination and the enjoyment of the beginning of all things. And we learn of one for whom our whole life longs. 
This is the one that is revealed to us. The one that we were created to know and to worship. And actually today we're going to look at why it is that we long for God, that we yearn for him in our life. I want you to see this morning that God culminates creation with man to glorify him as his regent in creation and rest in his divine goodness. And so we pick up midway through day six where God has created uh, uh, the sea creatures and the land creatures and the air creatures. And now he turns and he says, then God created man. And so we turn to the creation of man. And that's where day six continues. What we see is that this is a unique aspect to all creation. And he begins with a plural reference. Let us, he says, make man in our image. And he doesn't begin with the creation. Rather, he begins with a decree about the creation. Where every other day he immediately moves to the creation and with the spoken word what he states comes into being before he creates man he makes a decree and out of that decree he will create man the creation of man doesn't take place through a word addressed by God to the earth but rather as a result of his divine decree we will make man in our image after our likeness. You see, he is setting the distinction and the preeminence of man above all other creatures. He's also, within this, distinguishing the purpose for man to exercise dominion over creation on the earth. And what God does is he distinguishes man in creation by the way he creates and the purpose for which he creates him. He uses these two phrases, in our image, after our likeness. The question immediately becomes, who is God referring to with his plural pronouns? Right? If I stand up here and say to you, well, I, in our you know, you're like, oh, good. It's at least good to know he considers himself as a plurality. Uh, I'm not sure that's a healthy thing individually for us. But for God, we have to ask, who is it that he's referring to? The earliest of theologians thought that this was a reference to the Trinity. And surely it has provided for us what will later become our doctrine of the Trinity. This one in three, three in one aspect of our God. But it's more than that. One commentator says this, that the potencies concentrated in the absolute divine being are something more than powers. We're, we're not talking about just a plethora of powers in God here, friends. Here's what he says, though. It's more than the powers and attributes of God. They are persons of his divine being. From the very beginning, God teaches that he is one in three, three in one. Later in the New Testament, we will see that by him and for him and through him have all things been created. In all things that are, there is nothing that is that was not created by him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, God the Son. 
What does it mean then for man to be made in God's image? This question of the ages that has yet to be fully and I would suspect shall never the side of heaven be fully conclusively stated. Can't say all that it means, but we can say this, that it establishes a foundation of our understanding for people, for who we are, that we are not only physical creatures as God has created the other creatures, but we are spiritual in our very nature. It is very common today for you to hear people say, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, I knew that. That's because God made you that way. But usually they don't say that in order to get to God. They say that to try and deny him. It's funny. You use the very thing he created in you to deny him. But I uh, I digress. Excuse me. The The special characteristic of the human race, which distinguishes from other creatures, is this aspect not only of our physical, but of our spiritual Nature And friends, this makes our salvation a matter of supreme concern for God. In all, we understand from this passage that man represents God in a unique and a distinctive way as his creation within his creation. In God's image includes the totality of our created being and our unique faculties to to exercise intellectual distinction and advancement, to exercise moral reasoning and determination, to experience spiritual longing and yearning and the satisfaction that comes from it in a much deeper way, to experience emotional depth and breadth and to come from that understanding and benefit, to exercise willful direction and guidance even when sometimes what might be considered our natural instinct would say something Different And to exercise all of these aspects of being in harmony with knowing and relating to God who is ultimately ruling all. This is the distinctive nature of man. God forms man's whole being after the likeness of his whole personhood. That we might live in a relationship with the fullness of his triune being. You see, friends, when we learn later in the scriptures of the relationship that's in perfect unity within the Trinity of our God, we see God's desire for us. And that desire is inherent in the very way He created us from the beginning. A second distinctive of man's creation is important for us to see here as well. It tells us that God creates man as male and female. Male and female, it says, he created them. Now, man is the generic title given for humanity. That's what the word Adam, which the first man will later be formally named, that's what it means. But humanity, or man in the generic sense, has been given two genders, male and female. 
And the New Testament authors regard this creational truth as as foundational for everything. Mark tells us in chapter 10, verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Defining humanity with two genders in this way, listen, this is critical for us, makes each one of the two genders complement the other. And it establishes for each one of them a spiritual equality. That's from the very beginning, friends. Listen, this war is raging in our day and time, and I'll speak of that in just a moment. But I want you to understand foundationally that faithful Christian doctrine holds that both male and female are created equally in God's image and given the same value, the same dignity, and the same worth before God. We see this as well as Paul speaks of it in Galatians chapter 3 when he talks about salvation. For there is no male nor female in Christ. Why? Because God created it that way, giving the same equal dignity, value, and worth to each as he created them equally in his image. And so I want us to see today, as we walk through this passage, three creational distinctives that reveal God's divine will for man. And here we've seen the first of these three distinctives, that God created man for a unique divine glory by the nature of our creation to live as regents in creation. That we have a unique and divine glory that we hold the capacity for, not in and of ourselves, but because of the way we were created, by the very nature of our creation, to live on this earth, in this world, as God's regents in creation. You see, that's what God is doing here. He is establishing, as he has done, remember, order or origin, order and pattern, and from that separation, distinction, assignment, and purpose or meaning that comes through that. He continues that with increasing focus as he moves ever more. And within his creation, he sets humans, man and woman, who will become his vice regents in the world. In other words, we are set here to govern the world. That's what it will tell us. We're given a distinctive position for a specific purpose. And we are endowed with God's authority and God's power in order to serve in this way. But before we can serve in this capacity, we must understand where we are seated in the position of creation. And that's the first distinctive that we're seeing here. Man, as male and female, are the image bearers of God among all creation in a way that no other creation is and we are purposed by God because of this to fill the earth and to govern it for his glory that's where we have been seated male and female represent uniquely and complement each other and provide together a more full representation of God in creation God created Two genders, man as male and female. And friends, hear me, I, I never imagined 
that I would have to preach on this until just a few years ago. But it's become critical to clarify in the last two years what God intended when he created. This week, Wednesday, Time Magazine published an article entitled, A Doll for Everyone, Meet Mattel's Gender-Neutral Doll. And here's how the article describes the doll. It looks like a slender seven-year-old with short hair, but it comes with a wig of long, lustrous locks and a wardrobe befitting any fashion-conscious kid. I just want to pause there and say, look, who we are, our very identity in this world is not determined by what we can put on. It's determined by what was put in us by God. The article shares how the company arrived at this doll. Mattel tested the doll with 250 families across seven states with 15 children who identify as trans, gender non-binary, or gender fluid and rarely see themselves reflected in the media, let alone their playthings. The author, Eliana Docterman, explains what's become known as non-binary gender identity, also referred to as gender theory. And she says this, that individuals who may experience a gender identity that's neither exclusively male or female, in between or even both genders is who the doll is created for. Now, non-binary or this aspect of gender theory, includes these. can be gender fluid, constantly changing. It can be agender or without gender is what that means. It can be bigender, some confirmation of the two together. It can be a third gender. can be gender queer or something else entirely. Now, that's all a direct quote except for the commentary of my hands and face. Friends, I, I no longer find it unbelievable regarding the debate over the endless forms of gender or what is known as gender theory. As we've already seen from the beginning of our study, theories of man abound and they deceive countless numbers of people. And today we're trying to rival Sodom and Gomorrah in the sexual confusion and the perversion with which we are creating from our depravity. But God is neither unaware nor surprised nor threatened by this. For Genesis 1 is as critical to us today, yea, even more so than it has ever been. Been. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, warning us of the deception that occurs. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Hear me, friends. Sexual immorality of every form 
yea, even the form that you may be entertaining right now that you've justified and rationalized is acceptable. Sexual immorality of every form confuses and darkens the mind to deceive the individual most of all and mostly about their own identity and to an ultimate degree it deceives. Listen to me, there is no form of sexual immorality that is acceptable and that does not deprave by the darkening of our mind and heart to an ultimate degree. What does that mean? That means that sexual immorality depraves our pattern of thinking and the positions of our thinking, even the inclinations and the patterns of our heart the depths of our being, so that we can rationalize, in a sense, to justify our own conforming to what we desire over what God has said about us. That's why this simple phrase is so critical for us today. God is the creator of order, not the author of confusion, and he created man as male and female. That's two genders. One or the other. And if I have to say it, I will. One, not like the other. Am I right? Oh, I'm right. I'm right. Some of you are afraid to agree because the conversation you've had this week, you're like, I cannot agree to that or it will be used against me in the house of my law. Friends, I want to be careful about this and I want to be compassionate in this because there are many today, countless numbers walking around who live in the darkness of this deception and do not know it. Be careful, be very, very careful that you are not deceived to hinge your understanding of sexuality or gender on philosophical positions, nor ideological movements of today. It is not in the multiple choice of gender theory. It is not in the roar of the feminist cause, nor is it in the misogyny of its polar opposite in which the image of God is faithfully portrayed. We don't need a modern-day philosophy to correct the revelation of our origin. God has provided for us a foundation upon which we as faithful, historic, orthodox Christians can hold and know this. It is true for every person Because every person, male and female, is created in the image of God and given equal value, dignity, and worth before him. And that's how we should regard each person as well. 
Confusion and chaos from endless man-made theories will continue to be a fracturing cause in this world because both of them strike against God's created design, God's intention, and God's created purpose in the Imago Day. And friends, here's why it is so dangerous, because rebellion against God's word fuels the rejection of God himself, and the rejection of God himself further fuels rebellion towards his word. God created man, male and female. He didn't create us to compete to win, but rather to complement, to thrive. Now, these verses lay a foundation not only for the doctrine of creation, but for every significant doctrine in the reality of the world in which we live. The doctrine of man, the doctrine of gender and sexuality, the doctrine of work and vocation, as we'll see in just a moment, the doctrine of the stewardship of all things, even the doctrine of the authority of man-made government and ruling in this world. It's all right here in one chapter of the Bible, friends. God reveals this to us as he lays a foundation for it. You see, we long for God because we bear his image. Because we were created by him to live in relationship with him. And when we walk outside of God's will and in disobedience to his word, we live counter to the very design with which we were created. In other words, the most human thing that we can do is walk in the light of God's word. Christianity is not some way counter to humanity. It is the pursuit of God's original created intent when he created us. And it's essential in the understanding of how we were designed to live in the fulfillment of the purpose for which God created us. By nature, of the unique, distinctive creation, man is created as God's regents on the earth. Well, this introduces us to the next section, verses 28 to 31, where it goes on to talk about the blessing and the command that is given to man. Once God creates man, he blesses them and he commands them. Now, the blessing is a distinction because it's given to man, not simply stated about him or, or, or given even to the animals. What is said here about him is said to him. Whereas we saw this said about the animals to, to be fruitful and multiply, it was said about them. God not only says this about people, he says this to them. And so we see a specific purpose to bless and to bless that God does here is to bestow not only a gift to give them something, but a function for them to fulfill. And that function of the blessing is further clarified in his command to them as they exercise dominion over creation. And so what, what I say in all of that is that what God says to people in this passage is unique from anything else he has said to the other aspects of creation. And by the inclusion of all that he identifies, the sea, the skies, and the land, the fish, the birds, and the animals, his command is an all-encompassing one that denotes bringing 
order through our stewardship within creation. In other words, what we see God doing in creation, we, by the authority and power that he has bestowed upon us, we are to continue to do the same within creation within the boundaries with which he has set for us. God's blessing and God's command places inherent responsibility on man, both male and female. And they were created and designed as God's regents. So seated in a specific place among creation, but for a purpose because they were endowed by God to rule that creation. This is where we see the second of three creational distinctives that reveal God's divine will for man. God created man for a unique divine glory by order of his command to rule over creation. And so first of all, by nature of our creation, to live as his regents in creation, but by the order of his command to rule over that creation. God gives two divine assignments to man, procreate and fill the earth, exercise dominion and subdue it. You see, God assigns man to rule on the earth in accordance with the purpose and the position in which he has placed him on the earth as his representatives or his regents in creation. So we have to ask, what does it mean to exercise dominion and subdue? Well, man is to continue the kind of work demonstrated in creation with the unique faculties and position, with the authority and the power that is bestowed upon us. That's why you hear so often if you encounter a creature on the earth, it's okay. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. (laughs) No, I've never believed that either. No, actually, that snake is not more afraid of me than I am of it. I will hurt everybody within a two-mile radius if that snake comes within 20 feet of me. And not intentionally. I'm innocent in this. But I'm telling you the fit of rage I will go into. The point is God put us here in the world. And we have a distinct presence among all creation. Whether we recognize it or not. To govern. To rule. To exercise authority and power on the earth to care for the earth, to order and to structure the things of this world, to produce good and and to maximize that production both in quality and in quantity. And here we see the very beginnings of the foundation of our doctrine of work and a work ethic because God has bestowed upon us what we need in order to fulfill what he has commanded in the position he has Placed us. You know, you can see this even with little children, with, with, with Legos or with dress up. Little boys form Legos into spaceships to fly high, fast, and shoot big guns to destroy the enemy or to conquer or to even, as I saw yesterday, one little boy, he had a sword in his, uh, 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 in his pant side because he was conquering all the evil ones in the waiting room of the hospital yesterday, right? I mean, he was just protecting the whole family. Little girls play dress up and they twirl in circles and they imagine things that are beautiful and I'm not sure what all they imagine. I've learned in my life, uh, it's not only uh, ladies I don't understand, uh, it's, it's little girls too. Friends, I hope you understand this. I'm trying to be lighthearted and if that's a joke, that's a joke, okay? Listen, yes, girls can play Legos 
and build. Yes, they can. And, 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 and I'm not trying to gender assign here, though I know some of that is true and some of that's not bad. And, and boys can play dress up and come in and show his family the princess dress. And it's at that point mom and dad should go, no, don't ever do that again. And that's not a joke, I mean that. Like children who take toys, this is my point, and they give them form and they give them substance that their imagination might come to life. And in the midst of that imagination, that enjoyment might take place. And, and when they go, hey, mama, hey, daddy, come and come and see. And the pleasure of mom and dad who are not impressed, typically. I mean, actually, we are. That's why you keep posting it on Facebook. But I'm saying we see that and we know that's not the greatest accomplishment on earth. But it is their accomplishment. And because we love them, it is the greatest thing we have ever seen. And so we magnetize it to the refrigerator. Why? It's not about the production. It's about the relationship. God has given us all we need for our provision. And he's given us the unction and the wherewithal to make it happen. As God's regents on the earth, man is commissioned by God to rule over creation by filling the earth with the good produce of our lives for his glory. And with that, day six, the apex of God's creation comes to a close. The highest of all creation has been created and formed in a unique and distinctive way and commanded and blessed with all that is necessary for what has been given. A Christian's understanding of all things in life begin in Genesis 1. There won't be any other chapter of the scripture throughout our study where you take three weeks, four, five weeks, four. Math's not my first, it's not my best subject. Take four weeks and we could have taken four years. God culminates creation with man, friends. To glorify him as his regents in creation and to rest in his divine goodness. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Day 7. Day 7 is the completed rest of creation. When God finished his work in creation, I may have to define this word for you. Some of you don't know what it means, but he rested. He rested. Do not miss the imagery and the picture of God on day seven. Because while the apex of his creation has already been shaped at the end of day six, the culmination, the purpose, the highest good of his creation is seen in day seven when he rests. The seventh day is like none other, and in every way, in a literary form, but also in the form of function and purpose, it is set forth. What we read of God here is likely not what we think of when we think of 
rest, but far, far more. You see, the imagery of God resting is tantamount to what the New Testament says of Jesus after his resurrection when he ascended back into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. He was seated there to watch be completed in its carrying out his finished, completed work that he had accomplished on the cross. What God is doing on day seven is in the renewal that's taking place, he is enjoying the achievement of his creation. You see, God's rest is more than just ceasing from work because of exhaustion. Actually, we don't see God exhausted from creation, though there is a sense of renewal taking place here. Rather, what's culminating is the enjoyment in the completion of his work. And the renewal that is inherent in the rest is not as we think of tiredness or weariness, but, but more along the lines of what we would consider pleasure in the enjoyment of. It, it's, the, it's the motion of slowing when the flavor is savored from that meal that you so enjoy. It, it's the moment when you almost have um, um, an out-of-body experience by the enjoyment of watching your children play in the den floor and, and hearing their laughter or sometimes their arguments and, and, and just taking a moment to look in on what you're a part of and to smile because of your enjoyment from it. That's what God is doing here. God completed creation and he took an intentional pause to be renewed by the enjoyment of his work. Rest was the form of the seventh day, but it was not the ultimate purpose of its function. The Bible says this about day seven. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because of his rest. In other words, why did he stop? Why did he rest from his work and be renewed in the pleasure or the enjoyment of it? He did that so that he could make it holy. You see, this rest from God, one theologian said, it was pregnant with more than simple rest. There is a promise in God's practice here. There is a promise in what he is modeling for us, a, a blessing that he bestows upon that very rest, that when all who are his in creation practice what he is modeling for us, there is a blessing, there is a, a blanketing of his goodness and of his glory that is placed over their life. That's what's inherent when it says he made it holy. The seventh day is a day that is set apart unto God to fully take in and to enjoy not only all that he has accomplished, but all that he is accomplishing through us and inherent within that, all that we are accomplishing. At the culmination of creation, God is not exhausted, but he is rejoicing in the pleasure of his work. This is the highest moment of creation it's not in the work, it's in the glory and the enjoyment of his work. And you and I get that, friends. It's not in the punch list, uh, punch list excuse me, of knocking things out, but it is at the moment of its completion when we can stand back and go, yes, I'm so thankful for that. It stands on its own. The car actually cranks. You know, what, whatever the case may be, that case is settled. That person is healed. 
It's the enjoyment of it. That in, in some way God gave us meaning in our life so that the activity of our hands and the engagement of our mind and even the, the fluttering of our heart in the midst of doing what we love would have a purpose for us that we could pause and not say, good job, Lane. Good job. Nobody does it like you do it. No, not say what so often runs through our mind. But to think, praise be to God. that He grants to us the grace for the pleasure and the enjoyment of accomplishing what we desire to give our hands and our energies of life to. The grind has a purpose. But the grind has a pattern. And when we live outside of that pattern, we forsake the purpose of that grind. Creation culminates in the renewing enjoyment and pleasure of God in all the work of his hands. I want you to see the third creational distinctive that reveals God's divine will for man. God created man for a unique divine glory by his blessing of Sabbath. To rest in his goodness by honoring him with the rhythm of life. To rest in his goodness by honoring him with the rhythm of life. Now listen, we learn a lot more about Sabbath later in the text. Specifically in the law of Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. When God, God makes it an explicit part by one of his ten words. But it tells us here that God blessed the seventh day as his to enjoy his creation. And by creation's order and pattern, God blessed a day simply for the enjoyment of him and for his provisions. And he says to us, of us, that we too, friends, we need the rest. And we need it for reasons that God didn't need it, but we also need it for the very pleasure that God himself took in it. Our need is far more, though, than just physical return of energy and strength. By God's practice and model, he ordained that we would have a regular time every week in the order of our life when we would just take time to take him in and to enjoy all that he is doing, has done, and is about within us. God ordained that we would enjoy and glory in him with our lives. And our pause to rest in God demonstrates our complete trust in him first. And it renews our whole being. Friends, even when you can forsake that regular rest that you need during the week and you keep going, you are not renewing your whole being. I think the analogy is you can't burn the candle at both ends and think they're not going to meet in the middle. Lessons I'm still learning, just to be quite honest. God established Sabbath that we might take regular pause to worship Him and demonstrate our complete trust in His provision, provision for us. I have this image of my grandfather who was a, a mountain of a man, um, 
And his home lived, you have to drive up a pretty steep hill to get to the top where his house was. And then there was another slight hill just beyond that where he had built a recreation building. Hardest man, uh, hardest working man uh, 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 that you'll ever meet and, and, and the hardest partying man you'll ever meet. He built a building just to have his friends over so he could fry fish and shoot pool and talk. Literally, there was a kitchen that he could put his fish fryer in. There was a nine-foot, 12-foot pool table, massive thing, and couches. That's all that was in the building. And he wanted to throw a party every month. That's what he did. But at the end of the day, you could drive up the driveway and countless number of times as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult, I'd drive up that driveway and sitting on the front porch of that building, he would be in his metal lawn chair, reclined back with his feet against the rail, whittling on a little piece of wood nasty, dirty, sweaty from the oil field all day. What was he doing? Just enjoy. Just enjoy. Got up at 4 o'clock every morning to make his rounds in the oil field, but he never missed Sunday school at 9. God is actively involved in his creation, especially in the enjoyment of it. And as he hovered over the darkness in preparation for originating, so he rests in the pleasure over his creation and his enjoyment of it. Every day God looks at and says, this is good. Only one day God blesses as holy. And that's for a reason. If you want to live in God's blessing, you must honor him in his holiness. When we dare to rest regularly in a time set apart unto God, we display ultimate trust in his will and we hand uh, his will and his hand for our life as we glory in the grandeur of his handiwork. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, he says. That is a command not just for the rhythm of your week but to live with your first trust and honor in God himself. Friends, listen to me. When we fail to Sabbath, we deny God his glory in the very design and purpose for creation within us. But in Sabbath, we place our trust in Jesus to rest in God's eternal goodness by the gift of new life through Jesus Christ, who is our eternal rest. In the regular practice, we live by trusting fully in the sovereign will of God the Father for our life through the finished work of God the Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, in the forgiveness and the cleansing from sin and the giving of new life. Listen, in neglecting the Sabbath, we forget the gospel. In practicing Sabbath, we long for more Jesus. By command and blessing, God created and invites us into a life of glory and enjoyment of him through Jesus Christ. God culminates creation with man to glorify him as his regent to rule in creation and to rest in his divine goodness. Let's pray.